Welcome to the story behind the story. This is the podcast that doesn't just tell you the new story because you already know the mainstream story. See the headlines everywhere. This podcast, we took the time to go underneath the headline. We sort through the clutter and confusion of complex and controversial topics and give you only the relevant and necessary details. This podcast will go behind the story into Governor Brown of California is new executive order to decrease and limit water usage in their state. This was recently announced from Governor Brown while he was standing in the Sierra Mountains near Sacramento. Quote, Today we are standing on dry grass where there should be five feet of snow. This historic drought demands unprecedented action. And I'll uh, run down some of the background into the story, what they're looking forward to over this next year, in the short term, and years to come. promotion for this podcast is Kiva. They are a different kind of charity organization. They're actually a microloan organization, so they go out and they find individuals in developing countries who need money, who need investments in their small businesses and their small ventures. Um, What they do is they connect to those people with individuals like you and I. So you log on, uh, you just invest um, whatever amount you want, $25, $50, this money goes towards their greater goal of like $500 or maybe $1,000 to invest in some animals in their farm or their store, some inventory. Um, I invested in a a couple blacksmith shops in Iraq uh, just to get some new equipment for them um, to help them out. What they do is these people pay these loans back over time. Kiva has a 98%, over 98% repayment rate. Uh, these people, it's pretty cool. Uh, check it out. It's a different way of lending money. Typically, after they pay that money back, it goes into my Kiva account. I just keep lending that out to people. Keep continue using that those same funds for micro loans. Um, keeps that money flowing, different kind of way, rather than just giving the money away and never seeing it again. Of course, you can learn more at kiva.org. So, the water shortage in California. Uh, This is an issue today, um, as I said in the intro, that Governor Brown was in California recently, and um, because there is not much snowpack right now in the Sierra Mountains, that's where they they get, that California gets a lot of its water, or a lot of regions and areas in California depend on their um, water from that runoff in the spring and summer um, from the existing snowpack and glaciers up there. Uh, just a quick overview, the executive order that Brown put in place uh, recently this month uh, will affect every city in the state. It's it's actually on everyone just because everyone kind of shares water between one um, area to another. Um, this affects uh, um, most areas, uh, golf courses, parks, agricultural, even home use um, for water. Uh, it, ca- it calls for a mandatory reduction of water uh, by 25% um, in cities and towns. So 
that 25% is pretty huge. We'll cover, get into that a little bit. Um, four major objectives in this new executive order is um, reducing water waste, implementing stricter waste enforcement, streamlining the bureaucratic processes for water management, and developing new technologies to reduce both usage and waste. So one question I wanted to sort of put out there rhetorically, or a series of questions rather, is who has the right to water? Who has a claim to water, rather? How do we split that share of water when there's scarcity? How do we, how do we fairly do that? Uh, what happens when we don't go under our allotment of water? What happens when we use too much? Um, do we punish, penalize someone? Do you just find them more? Um, what's a fair way to punish their water allotment if they needed more? What happens if a city falls, fails to underconsume? So there's a 25% reduction goal. Uh, what exactly is the penalty if they don't reduce it by that much? Uh, does a household get their water supply shut off? Um, do these cities, these households, do they pay more? How much more? What's fair? What's a fair amount to pay more? This is the reality of water scarcity. I wanted to focus on one question. How, do we, how much water do we as citizens have a right to, just generally? as we observe these situations going down in California. I don't mean to, I don't, I'm not a citizen of California, this doesn't affect me directly, but just as a citizen anywhere, what right do we have to water? How much water do we have a right to use? Uh, for example, if someone was stealing your water that you were allotted, what do you do about that? Um, for Californians, water until now probably wasn't really considered something that you stole. Maybe in particular circumstances, um, like an RV, um, tapping water from a park without uh, without paying for it properly. I'm thinking more like people used to steal cable without paying, so the infrastructure was there in place at a home, and all they did was put like a splitter, a cable like splitter on their neighbor's cable connection or something. Um, you know, what if we filled up a barrel of water from our neighbor's faucet? Do we have to lock up our faucets now? Is that what Californians have to do, is lock up their faucets? I mean, how do you, how do, you know, people haven't been thinking that way. Water's been relatively cheap. So here's some more specifics to the plan, um, the executive order by Governor Brown. Um, replace 50 million square feet of lawns throughout the state. Um, with drought-tolerant landscaping in partnership with local governance, governments. Uh, require campuses, golf courses, cemeteries, other large landscapes to make significant cuts in water use. Um, and, I mean, so anyone that's invested in a golf course in California, prepare for some troubles ahead because that's going to get really expensive. Uh, most of the plan involves managing and collecting data more efficiently, better to better monitor and direct water resources throughout California. Uh, the plan also involves a lot of infrastructure management, both large-scale, like, you know, for buildings and cities, but also small-scale for homes, um, more efficient plumbing, um, more efficient tower, showers, toilets. So this is much of a problem with water scarcity uh, and a drought as much as it has to do with population. So 
it's not just because there's a decrease in snowpack on the mountains, but that there's so many more people in California. So let me draw some comparison between some numbers here. Um, in Utah State, we haven't had a water shortage quite like California. I mean, we have droughts and such, but um, let me go through some of our. I just chose a few different regions here. So in Utah, uh, 1980, we had a population of 1.5 million. 1990, 1.7 1 million. 2000, 2.2 million. 2010, 2.7 million. So that's only increased about 0.2 million that first decade I covered. Uh, point, half a million after that, half a million after that, uh, for each 10-year period. So that's the rate at which populations, um, the population in Utah is increasing. It's not much. We have a real small population anyway, relative to other states um, in the U.S. So Canada, for example, their entire country in 1980 had 25 million people. 1990s, 28 million, 2031 million, 2010, 34 million. They've only had about a 3 million um, person increase in their country every 10 year period. So right now they're at 34 million people or so. Versus California, they're at 37 million. I mean, they're just barely. I mean, California has a higher population than the entire country of Canada. Okay, just think about that. If you've looked at a map, you've seen Canada, how big of a country they are uh, versus how big, and California is a big state, but um, there's more people in that region than there is spread out throughout Canada. So that's why in comparison, Canada is not going to have a water um, issue like California simply because there's less people per, I don't know, acre, per mile, or kilometer, or whatever. Um, in California, they've been, they've also been they've also increased a lot in the past, but it's slowed down. So uh, every 10-year period, they've increased about six million um, uh, from 1980 to 1990, and then to 2000 it was four million, to 2010 it was three million. So it's gone down a bit, but it's still pretty big. They've actually been pretty close though to Canada's population. Um, I was going to display the average water use per person in these various regions, but that's not very relevant considering all the variables that contribute to an average. Farming obviously uses a lot of water, for example, but that produce that farmers, um, you know, that they produce, it ends up in a variety of places and is used elsewhere. So furthermore, the climate in California is more temperate, uh, more temperate year-round to allow for farming. So, um, you know, largely due to the Pacific Ocean, both cooling during the summer and warming during the winter um, a little bit, California serves as a very desirable, sort of a naturally desirable farming region. That being said, the, the kind of climate is also attractive to human beings who are also interested in living on that farmland for the very same reasons. It's uh, The temperature is very moderate year-round. Um, compared to the rest of the country. So as far as water consumption per person, it shouldn't be too necessary to compare water consumption between these areas uh, because we probably don't use water that differently, you know, personally. Um, compared to California, Canada would use more simply because there's just more of a surplus. They can use, they're not, it's never been scarce, you know, across the country anyways. So scarcity 
in California may cause people to use less. Um, but if we were to break down the basic water needs per person for personal water, home water use in modern society, we could probably have a generally uniform number in our culture, something like, I don't know, 50 gallons a day. That's just arbitrary, but you get the idea. Actually, it's reported that California's use is about 80 to 100 gallons a day um, per person. But my point is, if we broke that down to what's absolutely necessary, um, we could, if we had to, I mean, we could probably all measure maybe below 50 gallons or something. Um, something I wanted to talk about here, one of the main stories kind of behind the headlines that have been going around is uh, uh, the water use among farmers. So farm use for water is somewhat disputed because people think it's unfair when a farm gets to use more water than a household, even though that farm required water to grow a head of lettuce or tomatoes to sell to store for the benefit of a household. So just because a household didn't actually, you know, use water out of their own tap to grow lettuce doesn't mean that water wasn't used by a farmer, even though they benefited from that water consumption from the farm. Um, furthermore, beef actually requires a lot more water than, um, you know, in order to, to grow beef, to produce beef, um, actually use quite a bit of water. So um, one uh, uh, one person I found online they actually broke down um, some of the costs of of uh, water use. So apparently, a thousand cow dairy can supply about thirteen thousand five hundred households using three hundred sixty gallons a day. Um, that isn't per person; that's just per household. So it's reported that one hundred six gallons of water is needed to produce one ounce of beef. That's just sort of a rule of thumb. 106 gallons of water to produce a single ounce of beef. So that 8 ounce steak at the restaurant cost about 850 gallons of water before that, you know, cow was slaughtered and, and cut up. Uh, per ounce of meat, beef production requires twice that of pork production and 10 times that of chicken production. Um, so there's an interactive graphic by the LA Times that breaks down some of these numbers. 12 gallons of water to produce one ounce of egg, 45 gallons of water um, per ounce of peas, pasta and rice about 16 gallons per ounce. So um, potatoes about three gallons of water per ounce. Um, so again, um, Eight ounce steak at a restaurant, 850 gallons of water. Potatoes, three gallons per ounce. Fruits and vegetables, um, they're much more softer on our water economy. Oranges, uh, 2.5 gallons per ounce. Avocados, one of my favorites, nine gallons per ounce. Grapes, three gallons per ounce. Cherries, 12. Peaches, five. Bananas, six. So here's why that average water consumption per person is difficult to break down. Um, I mean, we could measure personal household use, but, um, you know, I took that our arbitrary number, like 50 gallons a day, in California, 80 to 100 gallons a day. That's if we're breaking down showers, you know, drinking, flushing toilets, washing clothes, dishes. 
Even those meals based on the figures provided by the LA Times, we can include um, all those various water usages. So um, the interactive graphic by the LA Times, for example, you can put together a meal. An 8-ounce beef steak, 8-ounce orange juice, 6 ounces of potato, 8 ounces of grapefruit, 931 gallons of water to produce that plate of food. Compare this to some breakfast dish, 8 ounces of eggs, 6 ounces of potatoes, 8 ounces of lettuce or cabbage or something, 8 ounces of grape juice, 164 gallons. So that dinner plate I read out, 931 gallons. The breakfast plate, 164 gallons. You can see why if we were to really break down water use per person, uh, that's really difficult to... Uh, to figure out. You'd have to get people's, I mean, their diets and what they eat, essentially. So, again, I asked the philosophical question, should they get an equal claim to water, considering they require a different amount? Um, each person requires a different amount of food they eat. I mean, if you're a bodybuilder um, on a strict diet eating a lot of protein, you're probably going to be consuming a lot more beef than you are um, I mean, she's a vegetarian, for example. So there's an interesting future for California. I do wonder 20 years from now if beef is a luxurious commodity in California. Um, so dairy farms are supposedly something like 44% of water consumption in California. Not just dairy farms. Almond production, surprisingly enough, is something like 10% of production in California. Just some figures I came across on the internet. They they vary slightly from source to source, but roughly that's um, those are the margins. So to serve my discussion point, should these consumers of California's water be deprived of their of their water usage? You know, should these dairies and farmers, if they serve a large market across the U.S., um, should the costs be distributed across other people in the country, for example? if we benefit from that water usage? You know, should those happy cows need to leave California? Especially the almond production, I mean, they serve a global market. Um, should California have to suffer, you know, water scarcity if year-round they benefit, you know, California is a desirable place to, um, to farm these certain things? The reason I ask these questions is because water, personal water consumption in California is somewhere around 6%. You know, a person in a household, to use maybe 6%, all these people, um, the rest of the water is used in other places. So, but like I described earlier, if they use more water than that 6%, they actually do. It's just not accounted for. So, like eating beef, for example, you know, just because a farmer um, used that water, I mean, this, that person household benefits from the beef. So, that whole narrative has been bypassed. And a lot of these media stories so far. Um, an online Q&A from a water economist I found, he had an interesting response. Basically, there's a, well, there's a question, something like, why people were going on about personal water preservation when it's such a low percentage anyway, again, 6%, which is pretty reasonable. Um, I mean, Governor Brown wants to decrease, you know, water consumption overall by 25%, so if individual households are only using six percent let's let's look let's look at this a little bit further now, anyway the response by that water economist he gave was something like it's something you can do yeah, as a politician it's something you can do while we get more campaign donors from farmers 
So again, when farmers benefit more from the water, um, they're going to more have a more closer relationship with these politicians, while these politicians are trying to get you know households to decrease their their water usage. Um, but we can break down this argument um, to something more philosophical. Again, who has the right to water? Who gets to claim? How much water goes to whom? Should the cost of water be less for farmers? Um, what about car washes? Uh, should we do away with those? Should we do away with you know front backyards or grass lawns? Um, should we make the rich just pay more for water? Should we make water costs more dependent upon salary um, rather than what's needed, what's used? So these there are really two outlooks on the situation here. The first is the immediate future. So the executive order is meant for this year um, until next winter, next snowfall may be different. Um, but the second outlook on this is long term, which this is going to last longer than just this year, this whole discussion. Um, as far as short term is concerned, I have no idea how they're going to reduce water consumption by 25%. I mean, we're already in April. Uh, well, this this report just came out in uh, right at the beginning of the month or right at the end of March or so. So, the time will only tell what would happen. The very obvious, well-known restriction, time-tested solution for a lot of this is, is cost constraint. This may sound ridiculous, but let's face it, California is going to have to start paying more for water. Cost restraints serve two purposes. They restrict water usage um, and pay for more water elsewhere. Considering, uh, you know, Calif well, California was considering building a pipeline from Alaska for more water at one point. They're also looking at building more desalination plants. Um, just use the water right out of the Pacific. But even more long term, I'm sure we'll see various pricing structures based on water consumption. Um, first off, you know, obviously luxury water use is going to be the lowest priority. Uh, rather, you know, this luxurious use will have a very high cost. Let's face it, golf courses are going to have to pay more eventually. Dairies, farms, um, personal water use, that'll probably be top priority. They'll be first priority for water use and, you know, basic needs for um, life sustenance. Uh, I had an environmental management professor. He proposed a pricing breakdown or something that's been proposed in the community, you know, in that environmental community, something that breaks down personal water usage to be something like a base, basic economic cost. Uh, you first have a, you know, one pricing tier for basic usage. A second pricing tier allows us to be, you know, semi-luxurious. Um, I don't know, maybe washing a car or hot tub or something. Um, and then whatever we use beyond those things to be more luxurious, probably large yawns, large or large landscapes anyways, like golf courses, um, maybe large pools. Something like this will inevitably be implemented in California. Um, or some, or all, probably all parts of California. Um, an interesting side story involving scarcity, resource scarcity. Um, introduce an interesting idea, something that's going to be increasing in California here, probably. Uh, the article is on Wired. It was titled... What's up with that? Building bigger roads actually makes traffic worse. 
uh, the gist of the article is that more people on roads means more people, you know, parked, stalled on the road waiting to get to their destination. You know, most of the traffic that causes traffic stops on highways and freeways, that's bottlenecked by exits and side streets. Um, so new roads, more lanes, um, that just creates more drivers. Um, traffic density doesn't really change, or they found that it gets worse, um, as I studied this in California. A couple of college professors, uh, they they were interviewed in this uh, in this article. They they learned they had an idea on how to deal with this, how to make this whole traffic issue more efficient. You know, scarcity on on a road, the amount of roads there were, how to get more people to where they need to go. They actually derived their solution from how the Soviet Union dealt with bread scarcity. I'm just going to read this quote from the article. Under the communist government, goods were given equ equally to all, with the central authority setting price for each commodity. Because that price was often far less than what people were willing to pay for that good, comrades would rush to purchase it, forming lines around the block. Um, the U.S. government is also in the business of providing people with good that they really want, roads. Just like the old Soviets, Uncle Sam is um, is giving this commodity away for next to nothing. So is the solution then to privatize all roads? What economists proposed, and many others should see more rational transportation policy, actually they advocate something known as congestion pricing. This means raising the price of driving on a road when demand is high. During rush hour, drivers would have to pay a fee to use the most congested roads. A few people balk at the price and say to themselves, I don't really need to make this trip right now, I'll go later. So this is largely um, a problem due to urbanization and overpopulation, um, though we're beginning to see it with the water supply as well, not just the roads. So you know, it's different because water supply varies you know, due to snowfall, as opposed to permanent roads. However, the concept to the end consumer of water is the same. It's actually an incredibly simple solution. Um, it doesn't take much research. If there's a water scarcity, pay up. People will use less if they have to pay more. The problem is, again, philosophically, well, water is a basic human need, so we have to decide what is fair, and what is fair price to pay at what level of usage. When prompted to determine how much a person needs to consume every day, I would come up with some arbitrary figures. But the truth is, I actually have no idea how much water I use. You know, I came up with some figures earlier, but... I mean, I guess there's a meter in my home somewhere figuring up how much water I use. I don't pay much, but I suppose I do pay for it. Um, if I had to pay four or five times more for water, if that suddenly happened next month, the very first thing I would do personally, is by gauging and measuring exactly how much water I do use in the first place. Um, I imagine most of California is somewhere around that first step as well.